Rockin' Raven, a podcast about finding the perfect path towards your perfect post-secondary destination. Each episode, we will highlight events you'll want to attend, deadlines you won't want to miss, and share some insight into what makes Carleton University a community like no other. Let's start the show. Hello, future Ravens. Welcome back to the Talking Raven podcast. My name is Stanley Philippe. For the first time this year, we missed our Friday release date. Why? Well, because your host came down with a bad case of the COVID-19s. Yes, I contracted the virus. I'm fighting it. Feeling much better. Very thankful to have been vaccinated and boosted. And uh, it's just a reminder that many of us out there who are listening to the podcast, who are thinking about post-secondary, who are planning their future, are either dealing with the virus head-on or know somebody who is. And so my thoughts and my prayers go out to all of those who have been affected by COVID. And uh, really, I'm hopeful that together as a community, we'll continue to do our best to fight this thing. Now, one of the best things you can do when you are feeling a bit sick is to sit back, relax, and listen to a podcast. And I gotta tell you, this episode, I teased it last week, is a jam-packed, riveting conversation that we had with James Milner and the entire team at Learn. So I don't want to spend too much time hyping this up. I just want you to get comfortable, get into your most cozy chair or couch and really absorb what our team of students have to say about not only their experience working with LEARN, but also their experience growing as people through the post-secondary journey. So I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. It's time for faculty chats. It's time for faculty chats. My guests today are Dr. James Milner, Associate Professor of Political Science and Project Director of LEARN, and Lily, Nadia, and Richard, three Carleton students and members of the Local Engagement Refugee Research Network. Welcome, everyone. James, let's start with you. Your research looks at the global refugee regime, global refugee policy, and the politics of asylum in the global South. Was there a moment in your undergraduate studies that sparked your interest in this field? Absolutely, Sten, and, and, and thanks so much for the question. I was an undergraduate student back in the days before email, so in the early 1990s. Then, like today, there was a sense that we were living in a moment of profound change. It was in the early days after the Cold War when conflicts around the world were erupting in in places like Rwanda and the former Yugoslavia and the Horn of Africa. And as an undergraduate student, I'd had the real privilege of being able to have experience working in refugee contexts in in somewhere called Malawi in, in Southern Africa that had hosted a million refugees from Mozambique. So it was, you know, I approached my undergraduate education as a way of equipping myself with tools and opportunities to make sense of the world that I was seeing in the media. 
So for me, my undergraduate education, yes, it was the courses that I was able to take and the professors I was able to learn from, and they equipped me with intellectual tools, but it was more the opportunity of what I was able to do with my own research and to become involved with projects and, and extracurricular opportunities where I was able to take the tools from the classroom and apply them in a real world way. So just as at Carleton, there are opportunities for students to do an undergraduate thesis, what we call an honors research essay. My honors research essay looked at, at displacement and violence in Kenya. And I had the chance to go to Kenya and conduct research and sort of really demonstrate that doing research on a question helps you unpack the inevitability, you know, the, the, this notion of why things are the way that they are. And that was really empowering that sort of made me realize that academic research can address some of these really timely challenges that we're facing. And just like today, when, when we see the situation of, you know, there are more refugees in the world today than at any time in history, we often look at the news and feel quite overwhelmed with the flight of more than 4 million refugees from Ukraine, the challenge of evacuating those in need of international protection from Afghanistan, let alone the continued presence of Syrian refugees, Colombian displaced people, and the list goes on and on. But what I found through my undergraduate studies is with the intellectual tools that comes from our, our academic training, but then finding ways to apply those tools, I felt that this question of, of refugees and displacement was one issue where I could apply myself and through academic research and through finding ways of, of using those tools to contribute to changes in policy and practice, that hopefully there was a way that I could make a difference. And I can draw a direct line from what I'm doing today to that experience when I was an undergraduate student many, many moons ago. Mm, I love it. The, the question that drives us, I, I think about that quote from the matrix and, and that drives your, your undergraduate, you know, purpose, your undergraduate studies and the way that you apply your undergraduate skill set to something bigger, you know, and, and we're all here collectively to do something. And it's about kind of figuring out what that something is. And, and for you and for the students who are joining us, that something led you to the local engagement refugee research network or learn. So tell us what is learn? There's a very short answer and there's a very long answer. And so I'll aim for something kind of in between. So learn is local engagement refugee research network. It's a, it's a collaborative partnership between academics, leaders of civil society, sort of charitable organizations and refugee leaders themselves that are trying to better understand and enhance global refugee responses. And the way that we're doing it is to recognize that 85% of the world's refugees are in the global South, are in regions like East Africa and the Middle East. But the vast majority of knowledge, the vast majority of policy ideas come from people in countries like Canada in the global North. And so what we're trying to do is to think about how a more collaborative approach to doing research, a more collaborative approach to using knowledge to bring about change, how that can lead to new opportunities. And the way that we do it is in really foregrounding our work in the needs and opportunities that are identified by researchers, refugee leaders, community members in the countries where we work in Kenya, Tanzania, Lebanon, and Jordan. And what this has done is allowed us to ask questions that haven't been asked before about refugee education in places like the Dadaab refugee camps, about barriers to refugee participation 
in places like Lebanon and Jordan in really trying to identify priorities in global refugee responses that need a new perspective to shed new light on these challenges and come up with new ways of doing things. The journey that led us to learn, it, it didn't sort of come up overnight. It was, it was part of a journey that I had been on with a number of refugee leaders in the last eight or 10 years in recognizing what's the complementary role of a university, what's the contrib complementary contribution of, of researchers in, in being allies with those who are closest to the phenomenon of forced migration. So it, it's not only the research that we're doing, it's about training opportunities. It's about things like students being able to undertake internship placements with the UN's refugee agency. It's about working in partnership with those refugee leaders who are trying to change the structures of the international refugee system. You know, the hope is that through the collaborations that we've started in the context of LEARN, it's a project that's very generously funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. We've been able to support new networks like the Refugee Advisory Network in Canada, like RCEAT, an initiative for refugees seeking equal access at the table. We've been able to work with the International Development Research Center here in Canada to fund research chairs in four regions across the Global South, in Latin America, in East Africa, the Middle East, and Southeast Asia. So it's trying to change the structures and to share power with those who are closest to the phenomenon of forced migration. But we wouldn't be able to do it without our partners, and we certainly wouldn't be able to do it without the students who are the lifeblood of what LEARN is able to do. Well, the one thing I picked up from that is, is transforming a, a one-way road to a two-way street, right? The, the idea that it's not just theorizing that then leads to a solution. It's really going to the areas and having the conversations that can then build the right theories to then find the right solutions and, and partnering, partnering, right? That, that, that also will kind of help to evolve uh, any type of situation. Absolutely. And Sen, it's, it's also this realization that those questions that we ask in the classroom, those arguments that we read about in the textbook, you know, those are tools that we can use. And if we use those tools in, in, in humble partnership, that those tools can be transformative. And so it, it's the opportunity and the real honor that I have, as, you know, as a, a as a university professor and as a partner in this space and working with you know amazing cohorts of students in being able to bring these practical challenges from the real world into the classroom, bringing guest speakers into the classroom. This has been you know one of the real you know silver linings of of the online world is to be able to bring. Rez Gardi, a, a refugee leader who's in the, 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 the Kurdish region of Iraq, bringing her as a guest speaker into the classroom and say, this is the work that you're trying to do. These are the questions that we've been asking. How can our tools be useful to you? And how can the daily work that you're doing inform the, the necessity of what we're doing in the classroom? And it's, so it's really not about, you know, seeing the university classroom as something that's siloed off, something that's, you know, that's disconnected from reality. But to recognize since the beginning of the whole concept of a university, society sets aside some surplus so that there's a space where these wicked questions can be asked. And, and the hope is that in bringing these very contemporary challenges into conversation and 
in the classroom, but also in, in creating spaces where this, you know, these tools can be used, that that's where the university contributes not just to, to learning, but contributes to change. Yeah, you can hear it. I, I hope hope everyone's hearing how passionate James is. And that's that's really the, the reason why we want students to, again, get involved into our community, because we do have amazing professors that are trying to deliver the spark that will give students that, you know, that flame to go in and cause their, their own beautiful, but you know what I mean? Like I can't even describe it myself. It's just really something that's important for our, for our students to do. And, and it's important for us to hear from our students. And so uh, we're very lucky to have three amazing students here. What I'm going to do first is give them each an opportunity to properly introduce themselves. So maybe share with us what you are studying and how you got connected with uh, LEARN. Let's start with Lily. Thanks for having me on this first of all. It's really great to get to hear everyone speaking. My name is Lily. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a second year global and international studies student, but I specialize in global migration and transnationalism. Got involved in LEARN actually because James was my first year professor and it was awesome to have him. And I think we can all tell him here that he's so passionate about what he does. And that really sparks that drive to fulfill what you want to do and really like go for it. And I think for me, like things kind of started out kind of early on for me in high school, realizing what I wanted to do. I was raised by two awesome Cambodian refugees. Um, so that has been a very pivotal part of my story and being involved with like the forced migration refugee community and kind of seeing these stories and how they reflect in my own personal life every day. But I think the amazing thing about being one of James's students and then also being at Carleton was that you see the network and the facility of not having just the passion to do what you want to do, but the support and the tools of people who will help guide you along that way. So that has been a really amazing journey so far, only in my second year, looking forward to seeing what the next two years will do. Awesome. Looking forward to see what you're going to do in the next two to the five or 25 years. Nadia, how about you? Hi, thank you for having me um, for the podcast. Um, so I go by she, her pronouns as well. And I'm currently in my first year um, in the Migration Diaspora Studies program. So it's a master's program, but it's also an undergrad, as we heard from uh, Lily. Um, but I also was an undergrad student at Carleton as well, where I was a combined honors. So I just graduated in 2021, where I was a combined honors in human rights and biology. But I was first a humanities and biology major when I first joined LEARN at the time because I was really interested interested in expanding my own interests um, because I was interested both in combining the sciences and social sciences and specifically in the global health field. But then I decided about my second year of undergrad that I wanted to make that transition to more of a social science and human rights perspective, which is the reason why I made that change and I reached out to James at the time. I actually didn't have James as a professor until my fourth year of undergrad. So, so I got involved because um, it's really funny. I was on the Carlton's newsroom website one day and I saw that James James was granted an award and I thought it was really interesting because in my high school years I went to um, a very heavy ESL program high school which I think had a really big influence because at the time we had a few Syrian refugee students that did come to my high school and I think that definitely did have an influence in my in the perspective of at the time combining both sciences and social sciences so to join learn was to be more immersed in that aspect of refugee rights and how we can go about that in a more of a holistic approach in terms of refugee participation. Cool. And congrats on uh, completing your undergraduate degree. That's a huge accomplishment. Uh, Richard, you're up next. 
Yeah, thanks again for uh, having me, Sten. So my name is Richard Davies. I go by he, him. I am an undergraduate student in the Indigenous and Canadian Studies program. And I got involved uh, with LEARN originally as a, uh, I was looking for a working opportunity on campus through Carleton. And I actually found this job placement through the Act to Employ program, which is an initiative, an initiative of the Paul Menton Center, which I understand uh, the Talking Raven had an episode on just a month ago. It just sort of fell into my lap. The Paul Menton Center, uh, the Act to Employ program, has an entire system developed for uh, getting students into the job market and uh, marketing themselves as an employee, as an expert in their field. And it just so happened that as I was starting the process, Learn uh, needed someone for creative services, uh, which is the, uh, the vague term that we've uh, used for a while for anything from graphic design to te technical help in coordinating uh, Zoom meetings. And uh, this was just before the pandemic. So the, my initial task was to make physical pamphlets for uh, events that we had. And uh, James is uh, uh, chuckling at this one because it was, I don't, know, I, I don't want to say ironic, but uh, I, uh, I prepared one physical pamphlet. I had this wonderful physical product that I could be very proud of. And uh, then, well, then... COVID happened. And of course, we didn't have any in-person uh, events on campus. So it was also an interesting journey for me with LEARN, trying to adapt that format to having you know a podium with speakers and adapting that into a lockdown phase. Uh, and now into our, you know, the, the second year of the, or third year of the pandemic, it has actually allowed us to communicate with a much broader audience by bringing that space online and connecting not just with people who are on campus here at Carleton and able to attend, but now we have a, a global audience. Uh, and that's especially important in seeking to make those connections between the global north and global south, between researchers and, and practitioners. Thanks for sharing that, Richard. And thanks for the plug. I think you're the first guest to ever plug the podcast oh, nice. during an episode. So if you're interested, check out Equal Access. Uh, it was a great episode where we featured PMC. So thank you for that plug. Lily, I, I want to go back to you because you, you mentioned you're in your second year. And so you are, you know, really at the kind of the beginning stages of this, you know, hopefully beautiful journey. Have you had a, an unexpected moment in your degree thus far, something that you didn't really expect to happen during your uh, undergraduate degree? One of the most startling things about being a high school student and kind of starting university through the peak of the pandemic was that not only do your high school teachers kind of warn you that you're going to have to manage yourself and that you're going to be responsible for all your work on your own and that it's going to be not necessarily an isolating experience, but that you are going to have to pull through for yourself and that not necessarily like the support won't be as there as much. And that a lot of times I think your high school student, your high school teachers kind of remind you that almost you'll walk into university and you are a number and you are there to get your degree and you walk out. But I think the most surprising thing is the support that I have felt from the learn community my other professors and just other students even without ever being on campus or getting to meet people, I think it's really interesting to kind of see how the connections and the relationships can still form. And that has been a very heartwarming and nice surprise, I think, that even if I'm not physically there or even if I've never met any of these other people in person, 
you undoubtedly can feel that like they are here for you and that we have a great team and we have a great network. It's interesting because you have come into the university experience during a pandemic and, and Nadia, you, you finished your undergraduate experience during a pandemic as well. So for you, as you, as you kind of see a, a Lily or, or other students that are at the beginning stages of this journey and, and you're kind of a phase two or on a, a different road, what are some of the things that you are now reminiscing on or maybe you, t- you took away from that, that experience that's fueling your purpose uh, as you go into your master's experience? I guess that when you come to Carlton to reiterate what like to basically repeat what Lily said, like you, I I walked in with the same experience expecting that I was only going to be a number, especially in the bigger classes. It's really hard to get to know a professor in the first place, but you would think that and that's what everyone assumes, but that really isn't the case. Like, I think starting my first year, it was very easy to reach out to professors because believe it or not, I don't think, I don't know if you want to put this in the podcast, but a lot of students don't go to office hours. Like they don't come to office hours. And when you do go show up to those moments, like to that time dedicated to students, professors do remember you. And I think that's what helped me maintain this interest because I was able to connect with humanities professors that I'm still talking to today. I'm still able to connect with biology professors. I'm still able to connect with my chemistry professors, but I'm also still able to keep in contact with the people in the law department, the poli-sci department, all because like once you view professors as humans and people that you can easily talk to, it really does help you out. And I think that's what really helped me out with the transition to the pandemic because it made it much easier to reach out to professors regarding my personal issues, whatever it was at the time. I'm not going to lie. I think it was a little bit more difficult when the online transition happened because the workload for a lot of art students went up significantly with the weekly like discussion posts and all. It's not to scare the first year and second year students, but it's to really put in the time to manage your time properly because if not, it's very, very easy to fall behind. But with all that in mind though, managing my time and keeping up these relations have really pushed me to pursue what I'm doing in my graduate degree, especially with hopefully if my thesis proposal is successful and immigration detention abolition, because I was able to maintain relations with both James as well as a few professors I had last semester who taught me more of a critical perspective on looking at the world in terms of like critical race theory, which has also influenced me in my work, um, specifically my placement with the U- with UNHCR, as well as um, my work with the Refugee Advisory Network. So I was one of the main coordinators for that group. If I could jump in on that, Sten, because I really want to underscore that this this point from 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 Lily and, and Nadia about reaching out to professors and 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 building those relationships. I'll share the the anecdote that the, the course I was teaching. For, uh, that uh, Lily was a, a member of that course. It was it was a fully online course, and it was what you know this, these wonderful terms. It was fully asynchronous, which meant I was in my basement speaking to a webcam, recording videos, posting these videos, and I never had direct contact with the students. The direct contact with the students in the course was through graduate students who were teaching assistants who, who ran those ran those discussion groups. You would think that that would be the worst environment possible in which to be able to make a connection. But one of the uh, first requirements of the course, one of the first assignments was for students to write an email to me and, and tell me about who they were and why they were taking this first year course on, on the politics of migration. And, and Lily's email just saying that it, it, it just that, that what was in that email was 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 so 
striking and, and compelling. And, and then by, by happy coincidence, the, the teaching assistant for Lily's discussion group was a graduate student who worked with LEARN. But it, so what I wanna say is that university professors who have an interest who run a particular project, they, they, they do this not just as a day job, they, they do this because they care about it. And where you find professors that link their teaching and their research and their community service, that's a door you can knock on. And if you don't knock on that door, if you if you don't extend yourself, that that door isn't going to open unless you knock on it. So th there's a big difference, I think, between high school and university. In, in the job in high school is is you're there to be taught. When you come to university, you're there to have the opportunity to learn. So you know the the, the challenge at university is is to be entrepreneurial, is to look for opportunities, to to knock on doors, and and to recognize that when you come across a community and those who are listening to this podcast, you may have an interest in refugee and human rights issues. You may have an, an interest in environmental issues or indigenous justice or any a number of issues that really animates faculty colleagues at, at Carleton. Find out who the professors are, find out where that community of students might be that shares your interests, that shares that passion. And by getting involved, you're able to connect to a community to enrich your learning experience but to feel that sense of, of, of community, even in a university of more than 30,000 students. Just to go back to James's point really quickly about um, students having the opportunity, like essentially it's up to you on shaping your own university experience. I think that's a really important point because during my third and fourth year, so when the pandemic happened in this case, I saved a lot of time by not commuting to campus. So I had a lot more time in my hands to do a lot more other things. And that included actually doing, working on two initiatives that were on campus. And these aren't specific to um, refugee rights. So I think that's also one thing that's really important that what I learned and learn is also very much applicable to other aspects of advocacy. And I think we should also like truly remember that if we want to engage with refugees in the context of refugee policy, we should also try kind of translate that to anti-Black racism, listening to stories of Black individuals in this case. So I think that's also really important to remember that. And I think that's essentially what inspired me to work on two student-led initiatives. Number one was the Robertson Hall renaming initiative. And very quickly, the story of Robertson Hall, Gordon Robertson played a really significant role in what was called the High Arctic relocation project and this was during the cold war and essentially it was the displacement of inuit to nunavut in this case there were three particular islands and i can't remember what they are off the top of my head but it was essentially a very violent part of canadian history and to have that name on campus on algonquin territory is a really isn't something that's positive so along with uh, one friend of mine emily who was part of the human rights program as well as I think two other, they were all, everyone was in the human rights program. Um, one of them being Alika, who is an incredible Inuit woman who's done so many amazing things on campus for Indigenous issues. We tried to push for the renaming of Robertson Hall, which was approved by the university. It's a work in progress with the name itself, but I think it, it that's just one example of how students can take an initiative on campus to really shape their own experiences in 
if you want to pursue human rights in this case, because there's a lot that you can do on campus to make a change. And another work that I've done is called Carlton Gila. So this was more of my science background in this case. And it was to acknowledge um, Henrietta Lacks, a Black woman whose cells were taken back, I think, around the 1950s, if I remember the years correctly. And it was with the support of the Lacks family that we were successful in approving the lab renaming of the lab where her cells are used, because it's this one very specific lab because it has a specific specific fridge that can hold very specific cells at a specific temperature. So it was that particular lab where there's a plaque there that explains her history and we have an award available for a a second year Black woman or Black non-binary student in either the biology or biochemistry program. There's no academic merit to it because if you're in the science program, academic merit is something that's held on very tightly. That's something that, but we we wanted to do something different in terms of we wanted to find individuals who need the money because they can't in consideration that they might not be able to dedicate as much time to school, whether it's because they need to provide for their family or for themselves or pay for their own tuition. We wanted to make sure that was accessible to that group of students. And hopefully we can have a mentorship program where the successful student is able to work with a faculty member who can also be their thesis supervisor. Because I know that connection, especially in the science programs, is very, very difficult to do, especially since a lot of students start from their first and second year. This isn't to scare people, but it starts in the first and second year. And that eventually, that's professor eventually becomes your supervisor in your third and fourth. But when you don't have the academic merit, it's difficult to make that connection. So all this to say, you have all these opportunities and it's not just limited to what you do in your program. I don't know why I'm, I'm constantly thinking about driving metaphors, but what you just talked about was the road trip, right? You know, when students jump into a degree, they're thinking, okay, that's the starting point and I'm going to end with a career. That's typically the, the path that they're thinking about. But the beauty of this journey is really the different stops that you take along the way of your road trip. And every stop will inspire maybe a different destination. And at the end of your journey, you're going to realize, wow, like all the things that I did beforehand just made whatever that destination is much more kind of uh, appreciative and much more meaningful. The, the meaningness behind that journey, behind the road trip is what university is designed to do. And and another thing that you, that you mentioned was the idea of you being a number, you know, both you and Lily talked about that. And Richard, I, I want to ask you, because Carlton, what we try to do is remove the number and really focus on the name. And so I'm wondering, uh, in your honest opinion, did you feel like, or are you feeling like you are a member of a vibrant community or are, are you just a number? That is a difficult question. And, you know, in, in, in my honest opinion, uh, no, I, I don't feel like I'm a number. I, I feel like uh, when, when I talk to any professor, even if it's a professor in which there are, for whom there are 300 other students, that my experience at Carleton uh, matters when I am speaking to them. And there is also, I, I've also found in my personal experience in undergrad, and I'm not sure how applicable this is to other people in the Carleton community, but in my arts degree, my, uh, you know, in taking a, a degree in a program that is within the liberal arts, there are many more opportunities for learning than I would have expected. And uh, Lily uh, was talking about the, the expectations that uh, you have coming into university from high school. Uh, and for a liberal arts degree, I was expecting it uh, to be 
large classes where you are just a number and it's just about writing papers. Obviously, you know, you, you take a, a liberal arts degree to learn how to write to some degree. But what I found is that professors are also recognizing the importance of other aspects of learning. And so the most important, I guess, through line is to learn how to think critically and to learn how to communicate your thoughts. And essay writing isn't the only opportunity for that. And so uh, in the first two years of a, a four-year undergraduate program, it's going to be the main focus. Uh, there's going to be a lot of essays as well as related topics like how to write a bibliography, how, uh, an annotated bibliography. So, you know, new students will learn all about that in, in the coming years of, uh, of their experience. But there are also, I've also had opportunities to present my understanding, my knowledge, the, the, re, the uh, studies uh, that I do in forms like oral presentations, in forms uh, like even podcasting has, has been an opportunity to submit uh, my knowledge. So not just, you know, putting it into a written format, but also using uh, multimedia skills, similar to actually what I've, I've been using at Learn, uh, and I think it comes from a recognition that in the practical spaces of where students end up in, in their careers, even if it's a, a purely apply, a academic setting, writing is not the only uh, skill set that you can gain from a university degree. I just want to jump in on that, Sten, and, and really underscore something uh, that, that, that Richard said. And on this analogy of the road trip, and, and I, I'd love, you know, I look back on my university education, my undergraduate education. I look back on you know where I am now and and what's been happening over the past thirty years. And I, I've I've had a feeling I've always I've been on a journey. I've never really known what the destination is, right? So I'm on a road trip without, and I'm still on a road trip. We're all on a, on this road trip. We're just at different stages of the road trip. And and I think what's amazing about you know the the work that 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 Richard does with Learn, for example, is that he brings technical skills in. In you know website design, in, in in helping manage our social media, in in managing webinars where we have you know partners that join from you know four different continents simultaneously, and and that's that's a skill that he brings and and contributes to learn. So we're we're sort of at the same stop on this road trip together for a time, and and Richard is making a, an amazing contribution. What what Nadia brings with with her background coming from from a from a human rights perspective and, and 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 the skills that she brings in facilitating and coordinating the work of the refugee advisory network of canada and the collaboration that we have and 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 lily's experience that she brings in in the knowledge mobilization and supporting you know, refugee researchers in the, the dab refugee camp in kenya bringing their research to fruition you know, all of, of, of the, the wonderful colleagues, I won't call them students, but they're colleagues on this, you know, they're, 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 they're co-travelers on this journey, that they bring skills at particular times that it might not make it total sense now of how this is contributing in a highly instrumentalized way to where I need to get next in, in, in my career. And so the, the message that I want to convey is, you know, for those who are, who are listening to the podcast and thinking about their undergraduate experience, that it, it, it don't feel as though you need to come in, you know, have a plan. Sure. Have interests. Absolutely. But don't be afraid to take the scenic route, right? Don't, don't just stick on the, 
on on the highway you know get off the 400 series and and take some of those side roads and and visit some of those small towns that you that you may not have heard about before and don't just go where all the other traffic is going because it's sometimes on those detours that you make encounters that help you realize that there are other destinations that that you might want to visit Nadia's story about starting in one degree and and I remember you know the courage that it took to be able to say no no it's time for me to switch and and take a slightly different approach but wow what she has brought is 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 magnificent and so you know what what we're hearing from 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 all of my colleagues on this call is, is about the opportunity that they have but really to underscore there's this amazing contribution that they make not just in 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 the passion and the curiosity but in these skills that you know an, an old fuddy-duddy like me I, I i just don't have and so the magic happens when everyone enters into a space understanding they have something to contribute and whether that's happening in a first year course of 400 students whether it's happening in a project like learn whether it's happening in a first year seminar or a fourth year seminar everyone has something to bring everyone has value to contribute and i think it's it's that sense of being co-travelers on a journey that's where carlton can is 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 really making progress in in moving from students being numbers to being names but not just names but people people with with lived experience people with histories people with contributions to make and that's what makes this this amazing community so so vibrant uh, for for anyone who visits the campus at carlton when you walk through the university atrium look up because up in the in the in the in the in the uh in the in the roof space in the university atrium are flags of every nationality where members of the carlton community have a connection you know carlton is a university campus in 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 on unceded algonquin territory uh in this place we call ottawa canada but it's it's uh it's a meeting point where thousands of people connect where their different journeys coincide and so this is a moment of connection where beautiful and amazing things can happen but be empowered that you bring something with you on this journey and so be confident in that contribution you have to make so just to go back to what james said about my undergraduate degree journey so to make that change that i made in my second year is actually a lot scarier than some people make it out to be because when you do come into university with a very 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 particular like idea of what you're going to be doing so in my case it was medical school to let go of that because it was something that I I don't know if a lot of people can relate but it's something that like I held on to my heart for quite a while like I think it was a good like 10 years that I've had that plan but then when I entered when I got to my second year I re realized that maybe the pre-med program because that is what humanities and biology the biology program is at Carleton it is an example of a pre-med program here I decided to make that transition and it was a lot of trying to explore what was best for me because first I was looking at should I do the global international study program or should I should I just stay in humanities and just suck it up for another two years but ultimately um, I made the change to human rights I don't remember how I made that change I just remember I think looking it up one day and I thought wow that's actually really interesting and I somehow DIY'd my degree because keep in mind a combined honors in human rights and biology isn't actually a real like not necessarily a real degree but it's not something that's ultimately offered at Carleton but when you do have the option of combined honors in a BA in biology and a BA in human rights 
that's that I made that little marriage for personal reasons, especially because I didn't want to drop my organic chemistry credits into electives. So I really wanted to hold those grades to my heart because I worked so hard for them. Um, so that I really that was a really nice flexibility that was there. And that was ultimately the reason why I decided for human rights and biology and not vegans, because I wasn't able to transfer all my science credits over. Once I entered my third year, I was more of like, let's go with the flow kind of thing. And I never actually planned on going into a master's degree, especially at this very moment. I actually was planning to take a gap year, but there was a conversation I had in October 2021, which was my first semester of my fourth year. And um, and out of last minute, I because a lot of people plan their master's degree from the start as well. Like this isn't something that like people do two months before the deadline, which is exactly what I did. And I managed to get in and I'm having a lot of fun more than I expected I'm doing things I never thought I'd be doing in the first place so I, I think it's, it's when you do this little road trip uh, as James analogy is it really do enjoy the scenic view because you know I don't know where I'm going after my master's degree but that's okay because I'm having fun yeah I'll just jump in here I think one of the things that I love most about Nadia and I think it's something that we can all take away from her is that there is so much beauty and empowerment and kind of carving your own path. And I think school can be so much fun when you take the time to do the things that you love and pursue those interests and that it's okay to not know what the end product is going to be or what you're going to do. But there is so much enjoyment that can be found in pursuing what you're interested in and having the time and passion to kind of go through those things. And sometimes you'll take a course and it won't exactly be what you want. And sometimes you'll take a course that you didn't think you would enjoy and you end up absolutely loving it. And I think Richard mentioned this kind of early on, and I wanted to touch on it a bit, just as being someone that's very early on in that undergraduate degree. I think there, when you're assigned kind of these tasks and assignments that seem almost boring at times and stuff and you almost get frustrated by it like having those essays and those assignments I found one thing that really worked for me that I think is really important for other students that are incoming is that using those essays when you have the ability to kind of write about whatever you want to write about that is such a gift to be able to research and have the time and put those efforts into learning about something that you love and the end product usually ends up being something that you're really proud of and I think that makes it so much more fun to be able to learn and go through your university degree when you feel like that you're doing something that you can walk away from that you're proud of and that you're like, this, this can apply to the real world. And you see the way that that can be implemented. And at the end of the day, just being like, this, this was fun just because I enjoyed it and not doing something for marks or doing something that's grueling because it's so much more painful when you feel like you have to do it versus when you want to do it. And I think that's something that has really helped me so far in the last two years. Yeah, you know, life is a highway, but it's also about the climb to give a shout out to Miley Cyrus. This has been an amazing, amazing conversation. Before we wrap things up, James, I, I want to ask you one last question, which to be honest, I feel like we've already answered it, but, but I want to make this official. How would you define a successful undergraduate experience? I think a successful undergraduate experience is something that's personal. I think it's something that is the result of testing yourself and pushing yourself, exploring, asking questions, and coming to the end of the journey and feeling empowered that you have as much right to ask those questions and offer an answer as anybody else. 
So I think a successful undergraduate experience is a journey of empowerment, of equipping yourself, of pushing yourself, of testing yourself, and coming to the end of that journey confident that you have the right to contribute to a public conversation about issues that are important to you, whatever those issues might be. That's perfect. That's great. That is exactly what I think our listeners uh, want and need to hear. And, and, I, and I hope that they really got a lot from this convo. James, Nadia, Lily, Richard, thank you for going with the flow today and, and sharing your amazing thoughts and, and contributions. And uh, I'll keep uh, an eye out for LEARN to learn more about this awesome initiative. And, and again, thank you for your time. Thank you, Stan. Thank you, Stanley. Thanks, Stan. And we'll be back with more of the Talking Raven podcast. Big, big shout out to James, Nadia, Richard, and Lily for appearing on this week's podcast. There's nothing more exciting than hearing passionate people share their passions. It gets me all riled up. So super psyched that you were able to listen in on that conversation. Now, next week, we are turning our attention to our fourth faculty. We are talking faculty of science. It is a special faculty here at Carleton University. So really excited to shine a bit more light in their direction. Until then, this has been the Talking Raven podcast. My name is Stanley Philippe. And remember, you have a lot of greatness inside of you. So don't be afraid to unleash your inner awesome. Take care, y'all.